Eagles, your GWS Giants. Hey, Nick. Hey, Jason. I'm glad we're here. Me too. Me too. I'm really glad we're here, though. So basically, yeah, get through the sticks, don't be greedy, and kick it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of AFL in a nutshell. Thank you. To another episode of Think Business Futures. I'm Nicole Sutton, a lecturer in accounting at the UTS Business School. I'm David Brown, Associate Dean External Engagement at the UTS Business School. On this episode, we're looking at the professionalisation of women's sport in Australia. Here to tell us about the ascendancy of women's professional sport is Professor Tracy Taylor. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you very much, David and Nicole. So Tracy's actually a professor of sports management in the business school, and her research is focused on both human resource management and executive leadership development, but also particularly empowering areas such as cultural diversity, volunteer management, and sport and security. So given that you've made a career out of researching sport, what drew you to this area in the first place? Oh, great question to lead off with, Dave. I was originally interested in sport and aspects associated with sport from a personal perspective. Um, I loved sport as a child. I played a range of different uh, sports and I felt really passionate about those. And I also felt that um, sport provided an opportunity for people to engage in activities in a way which created a level playing field. In my naive youth, um, I thought that sport could be the place that people were equal. Uh, Men, women, girls, boys, whatever background you came from, um, and that it would all level out on the sporting pitch. How wrong I was. Interesting. (laughs) Can you elaborate? When when did you have that realisation initially that perhaps... All was not equal on the sporting pitch? Probably um, not until I came to Australia, I must say. So while I was in Canada, I had an opportunity to play a range of different sports. Uh, I played at university, I played volleyball, um, I played football, and I also played rugby union. And so in my naive youth, when I first traveled to Australia and settled in Sydney, and looked for a women's rugby team to join in 1982. The men were absolutely aghast at the suggestion that women might actually play rugby in this country. And that sort of uh, started me thinking about uh, issues about gender equality in sport, and it's gone from there. As David mentioned, I've done a lot of research on women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds in sport, and you can see how sport puts up a range of cultural barriers, either intended or not intended. You know, David started off with a little story of the past. I'll tell you a story from probably, I'd say, 1990. So I was teaching at that stage at Karingai College of Advanced Education, And we had a lot of students that were studying um, either sport or recreation with us. And we were talking about gender equality in sport. And one of my students from the uh, Insular Peninsula up around Manly said, You know, Tracy, there's only one time in my life that I've seen my father cry. And I said, Oh. You know, I thought this was going to be, you know, a real touching moment. Like, what happened? Did your mother die? Or... 
you know, your sister got uh, had cancer or something very traumatic. He said, yes, it was when our local surf life-saving club voted to have women as members. You are kidding. No. <laughs> and if you think, um, you know, Australia in those years, uh, women could only be associate members of a lot of different sport clubs, um, golf, surf life-saving, uh, and also, there was a cultural dimension um, to who could or couldn't be uh, admitted into particular private clubs. Mm-hmm. So that's when I guess I started to become more aware that there were either formal or informal barriers to participation um, by a lot of different uh, subgroups within our society. But if I pick you up on where you started in relation to this then, so the listener might take the position that you're talking about something that's specific to Australia then because you said you hadn't seen that in Canada you came to Australia so is this an artifact of Australian culture as it was then and as it's developed or is it a broader issue? I think both I guess my realization um, within the Australian context was once I was in a broader societal uh, situation so I'd been fairly sheltered because I'd played sport within Uh, school or university so I wouldn't say that this is unique to Australia in any way and certainly um, I must say that in the last 20 or 30 years Australia has come on leaps and bounds um, in this regard and a lot of other countries haven't. As you know I I teach on a range of programs globally uh, mainly with uh, national Olympic committees, uh, international federations and national sport federations and I've seen evidence of you know, discrimination, exclusion, sport being only for a certain privileged group around the world. So it is not unique to Australia, or wasn't unique to Australia at that particular point in time either. But Australia, I think, have come such a long way um, in the last uh, two decades. Mm. It's unrecognisable. As you probably know, I did my... Um, PhD at University of New South Wales on the history of women playing netball. And, you know, for many years, netball was one of the few sports that uh, women and girls uh, were allowed to play. Mm. You know, they were encouraged to play. Um, Mm. As I say in in that thesis, um, it it produced a compliant femininity because it embodied a lot of the uh, feminine ideals that were valued within Australian society at at that particular point, Um, you know, when it was introduced in the late 1800s, early 1900s through to the 1950s. And it was only in the 1960s when some of those uh, stereotypes and societal expectations started to be challenged. So how has the landscape of women's sport changed, particularly in the last few years? Well, Nick, interesting that you asked the question in that way, because you may have uh, read in the last couple of days that what used to be the Australian Sport Commission's now Sport Australia, Kate Palmer, the CEO, has said that we shouldn't call it women's sport. Okay, what should yeah, we be calling it? That we should just call it sport. <laughs> I stand corrected. This is like okay. actor, well, no. actress. We yeah. should call them all actors. Yeah, so it's. It, I refer to it still as women's sport because uh, it, it, it gives it a categorization that 
enables us to have a discussion. Yeah. But I think that's a, you know, a particular discourse that will gain a lot of momentum um, in the next little while. But going back to your question. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm going to keep that. Yeah. It's going to make this interview a little bit tricky, but, you know, we'll try our best. Yep. Uh, well, I think the opportunities for girls and women have increased dramatically uh, over the last 10 or 15 years, and that's playing sport, um, access to sporting facilities, access to, um, to coaching staff, access to uh, various ways in which they can engage more generally. Um, and also there's now... Uh, particularly a career path for women. I remember in the 1990s, uh, netball fighting tooth and nail just to move into that semi-professional sport terrain uh, and you know, having to pay for media coverage uh, to try and get some exposure. And this is when we had you know, women's team that was consistently international champions, world champions. Uh, now we're seeing money coming into women's sport um, and we're seeing commercialization, we're seeing uh, media and broadcast deals being struck, great uh, attendance at a lot of you know, the semi-professional and the, the professional women's uh, leagues and games. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just really, really energizing and exciting to be part of this uh, sporting landscape at, at this particular time and juncture. And you only have to pick up um, a paper or Google if you don't read papers. Uh, <laughs> women's sport in Australia and the number of articles that have been written in the last couple of years about the ascendancy, as, as David put it, of women's sport is is just amazing. And also, I think uh, social media and social media commentary has really generated a lot of excitement and enthusiasm um, for women playing sport, either semi-professionally or professionally. Mm. And you're seeing a lot of role models starting to emerge that Mm. we never saw previously, or at least not to the extent, and, and breadth across the different sports. So you mentioned um, previously that, you know, netball was kind of the perhaps most widely recognised kind of sport that women play. To help kind of our listeners who perhaps haven't, you know, picked up a newspaper lately, to understand what other sports are now becoming semi-professional, professional, what sort of sports are women playing and having a career paths in Australia right now? Yeah, um, and, you know, this is an ever-widening net, uh, so netball certainly kicked most things off. Um, women's football or football. Um, so the W League we, ha- we have with the, with, the, with the soccer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's um, uh, women's teams in football or soccer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, as we know, very successful women's uh, cricket teams yeah, and yeah. a women's cricket competition. We've now, or we have had for a few years now, and it's run slightly different than the other competitions, uh, women's basketball. And interestingly, women's basketball in in the US is the um, premier uh, sport in terms of pay and um, for women in professional sport globally. Mm. And there's been a few studies done uh, internationally about what leagues rate where in terms of um, payment and Women's National Basketball Association is is at the top. Uh, Then we've got 
the other football coats. <laughs> the other kind of less the round other, balls. The other. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, we've seen, uh, you know, the rise and rise of AFLW. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, last year, the introduction of the um, National Rugby League Women's Competition. And we also um, got our women in rugby, particularly around um, sevens, um, having their competition that mm. started a couple of years ago. And they just struck a pay deal within their latest uh, CBA at the beginning of this year that um, has the same introductory payment for men's sevens players and women's seven players. And that's quite a a landmark decision. Mm. But they've been really successful as well. Like they had yeah. huge success at Rio, so yeah, with with the yeah. sevens competition. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Gold medal's pretty good. Oh, hi, Nicole. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Chloe Dalton is one of those rugby sevens players who won gold in Rio. Can I take you back to 2014? So you make your okay. debut for Australia in the Rugby Sevens, uh, and that's when you also got your first kind of full-time contract with Rugby Australia, right? Yes. Yeah. And so if we think that's five years ago, so I'm really interested in terms of in those five years since, what changes have you witnessed in professional women's sport? I think the biggest thing that I've seen, um, I guess, has been the increase in the standard and in the quality of the of the games across the board I think particularly seeing firsthand with the rugby sevens how much of a difference it made when the program went to a full-time training load rather than uh, prior to 2014 where it was just the training camps um, every few months where the girls would come together um, I was lucky enough to be involved when it when it had become a full-time professional program and I think the amount of um, amount of success and amount of progress you can see, um, on the field, whether it is for rugby or AFL or, or for whatever sport it applies to, I think the amount of progress you can make is huge when you see um, women's sport becoming professional. So I think that's something that mm. I found really exciting to be a part of and to witness as well. And I think that even with the with the AFLW, that's obviously still a, a very part-time program, but I think that uh, the resources that have been invested into it um, from that perspective, I know that it's something that, that people have been wanting for years and years and years. So for her... Um, for it to be, I guess, to take off over the last few years as it, as it has in the first couple of seasons and now into its third season has been really exciting as well. I think, yeah, there's been a lot of people wanting it to kind of happen, but I'm, I don't know, for me it kind of has really surpassed expectations in terms of how much how much interest there's been um, and how much, like how well attended the games are and how many, how many conversations we're having, you know, on a Monday about the AFLW. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been so exciting to see people get behind it and just to chat to to so many different people who've been impacted by it and I was at a at a Carlton event just last night and turning to people talking about their their kids who now aspire to be the next generation of AFLW players is something that is still pretty surreal but it's so so amazing to see what an impact it's had across the board that's yeah, great yeah that's amazing mm. and I think that's one of the big things is bridging that gap as well so I know a lot of girls that I play with in AFLW they they played and absolutely loved it growing up and then it got to the point where they could only play with the boys and then mm. when they reached a certain age, they obviously weren't allowed to play mm. with the boys anymore because of the physicality and things like that. But I think the progress it's made over the last few years in particular means that girls who are in that 11-plus age group can now actually play footy with, with girls and, and are absolutely loving it, which is really cool. 
Back to rugby just for a second. Um, so after having so much success in rugby, so like in 2016, you win the gold medal with the team in Rio, and then in 2017, you won the Sean McKay medal, right, for the best women's sevens player. Congratulations on that. Thank um, you. So I'm kind of interested. Why did you decide to try your hand at AFL? Um, so I got to the end of 2017, and uh, I guess I just felt like I needed a bit of a break from rugby. I probably wasn't enjoying it as much as I had previously and, and just decided that I wanted to take a bit of time off. Um, at that point, at the end of the year, I actually hadn't hadn't looked at the option of AFLW. I'd watched the first two seasons of it and I'd absolutely loved it. And there'd been a couple of people along the way who'd kind of made made comments as, as a bit of a joke saying, I think you'd go all right in, in AFL. I reckon you could give that a crack one day. And, I'd, and then it was early in 2018 that the opportunity came about to trial with Carlton. Um, and one of my teammates had already been down um, to trial with Carlton and, and had gone really well. And when that opportunity came up, I was pretty pretty surprised and pretty excited, but it all happened really quickly. And, um, yeah, before I knew it, I was, I was playing VFL with Carlton and, and down in Melbourne. So in choosing to pursue an AFL career, you did have to give up that full-time contract with Rugby Australia. And I understand you're like a woman of many talents. Uh, like you have a physiotherapy degree. Is that is that right? Yes. Yeah. And correct. you're wor- and you're working as a physiotherapist as well. Yes, I'm working part time as a physiotherapist. Yeah. And then- I mean, this is this is a reality, right? In terms of having to balance your football um, with part time work, can you help us understand what are some of the implications for players having to balance their sporting commitments with outside work? Yeah, I think it's something that I found quite a challenge. So. I guess 2018 was probably my first year of being more in the, in the real world with a with what people I guess would call a real real job apart from the full-time rugby commitments. So it was a bit of a challenge for me to get used to that balance. A lot of the time I was going straight from a full day of work uh, then getting to training to do gym and then out on the field doing recovery and ice baths, having dinner and probably not getting to bed much before midnight and then getting up to go to work the next day. So I think from a recovery and, and sleep perspective, that's probably one of the one of the really big challenges. Looking at it from a from a positive perspective, I guess I've quite enjoyed having a bit of change in the sense of not just being so focused on the sport. I actually have quite enjoyed the mental stimulation away from the field, being able to to put in time to my physio. So I guess um, one positive aspect of it is that I do actually get to use my degree, and I I really enjoy building up relationships with my clients and and um, being able to practice my physio in that sense. Mm. Um, so that's probably one component of it that I, that I have enjoyed and, and that's how I try and see the positive in it as well. But like you said at the beginning of, of our chat, there'd definitely be a benefit for like looking down, looking down the track of players actually getting full-time contracts in the AFL. I mean, you made the comment before of how beneficial in rugby um, to the standard of play when players are actually able to kind of enter into a full-time program, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that I'd really like to see in the coming years for the AFLW. Um, yeah, I, I stand behind that statement. And I think that there's just going to be exponential growth in, in the talent and, and, and the quality of play. And I guess a lot of the time, whether it's across the media and, and social media as well, it's it's compared to the men's game and, and scrutinised for certain things that aren't up to the standard of what people expect. But I think if it 
does have the ability to go full-time in the near future, I honestly think it would make a huge difference um, Mm. for the competition as a whole. Absolutely. And besides the differences in the contracts, how else would you compare your experience as a professional athlete in, say, the Rugby Sevens and now in the AFLW? Um, Yeah, I think obviously the the contract amount probably makes quite a big difference because obviously you can – have that I could have that in rugby as my livelihood and didn't have to rely on a job outside of that. In terms of the professionalism, I've been quite impressed with the with the standard um, when I've come across to the AFLW, but it's probably more having to fit it into this very. We've got pretty short windows because it has to be after those working hours to obviously fit in for for girls that do work full time or part time or whatever it is. Um, mm. So it's a big difference with the AFLW program is it's it's a pretty short time frame. So a, a lot of things are squeezed into a pretty mm. small period of time and we just have to make do with what we've got. When I get to rugby and it was full time, we'd have an entire day to fit in, fit in our training, which would mean additional time to do video sessions, to work on extra skills and extra areas where you had certain weaknesses, plenty of time for recovery, to be able to refuel your body and eat right mm. and have a bit of a break in the middle of the day so that when you could go out out onto the field for that second session or go into the gym for that second session that you were recovered and ready to go. Well, it's amazing what you do make do with what you've got. Like you say, like if this is what, this is the level of play and skill and just even what, like the the entertainment that's happening out there on the pitch, if this is the level that you guys are able to bring, even just at, with this space, with, with the constraints that you acknowledge, I mean, you can't even imagine what, what could be coming down the track um, with further support for the players, for the coaching staff and all the other kind of resources that goes into a footy team. So that kind of brings me to my um, kind of last question, which is a little bit more philosophical, but I'm, I guess I'm just really interested to understand your perspective, like someone who lives and breathes sport every day, because we're now seeing increasing opportunities for women to make careers from playing sport across so many different codes. So why do you think this is so important? I think that, I guess, enabling women to play sport and to have the opportunities available is is such a massive thing I guess when I was a young girl I my biggest dream in life was to be a professional athlete Um, at the time when I was young there there weren't the pathways to do so and I wasn't really sure how I was going to make it happen but I just knew that 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 was a a massive dream of mine and I'm pretty fortunate I guess to be a part of a generation that that now I can have the opportunity to do that Um, but I think that sport along the way through through injuries and through losses I've learned so many lessons in in resilience and discipline and I think that that can carry over into my career both on and off the field and I think that sport is such a powerful thing I was recently in New York I visited my brother who's just moved over there and I got to go to the 9-11 memorial and they had an exhibition on about the sport in the city following 9-11 and it was about a game of baseball um, that had been played just a few days after and one of the players towards the end of the game hit a home run and the crowd just absolutely erupted. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run! Mike Piazza and the Mets lead 3-2. to And it just was such a huge moment for, for these people who had been through such a horrific event. And I just remember standing there feeling quite emotional, just understanding the power of sport and how it can do so much more for society than than often what we realise. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. You too. See ya. 
That was Chloe Dalton, professional AFLW player for the Carlton Blues. When we come back, we'll talk to Tracy Taylor about the challenges of professionalising women's sports and some potential solutions. Some of my colleagues at UTS do research uh, on the crowded Australian sport landscape mm. and how many professional teams we have, men's and women's, how many professional competitions we have within Australia, uh, supported by a very small population. And you were seeing the challenges now that that will bring a lot of um, sports particularly um, some of the women's sports who are uh, dare I say poaching from one another and um, some of the sports are not professionalized uh, who want to retain talent uh, now being um, challenged by the sports who have professionalized the poaching that uh, is occurring because you know if you can't make a a living uh, as a professional athlete in you know the sport that you've grown up with and love, uh, but you might make a really good AFLW player. Maybe you come over and you're lost to that sport. So I think there's going to be some challenges in that domain because mm-hmm. there's just so many opportunities and mm-hmm. you know they're exciting challenges uh, to yeah. have. Can can we open up this idea about challenges because? I think we're all really excited about the emergence of these different leagues, be it the AFLW or the Big Bash, and it's all really exciting. But this emergence is not necessarily without its problems. So what do you see as some of the main challenges for these sports as they kind of turn professional? Yeah, and and this is one of the um, areas that we want to look at within the uh, Australian Research Council grant that we have over the next three years is what does success look like for women? Is it the same as for for men's sport? Is it it different? Is it about eyeballs? Mm. Or is it something deeper and more meaningful? Is it about creation of opportunity and inclusion and role models and maybe making some particular choices about who is the sponsor for a particular team or a particular league? What message are you sending out um, if you uh, partner with particular organisations? And can that be used in a much more inclusive way? Uh, I think that's one of the conversations that mm. we, we need to have and un- understand what the expectations are from both the community but also the sport and the, the people playing the sport. The other uh, interesting challenge that has been somewhat uh, communicated within media uh, channels is around the excitement creating a groundswell of girls that would like to, to play and engage in the sport and us not having the facilities, the support, the coaching staff, the managers, etc., to be able to cope with that demand. So this is even like the in the case of like the grounds, for example. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I know having played uh, soccer for a number of, number of years, getting, you know, pitch time sometimes can be really tricky. Mm. Um, and particularly as sports become more and more popular and if there are other sports now as yeah. well that also require grounds to train or play on, at some point there's going to be a squeeze on those sorts of resources. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about the pay? Because, yeah. I mean, this has been one of the publicised issues uh, around a women's sport. I mean, there's been 
several kind of famous examples of massive pay gaps. Um, for example, again, like the difference between, say, the money that uh, Matilda's players were getting versus uh, the, their Socceroo counterparts. or mm. the. And I know recently it's been raised about uh, the pay that top-tier AFLW players are getting compared to their male AFL counterparts. How much of an issue is the gender pay gap? Well, certainly it exists, um, de- but it depends on how you actually look at it. So, for example, considering the first season of the National Rugby League Women's um, Premiership, the time commitment was not a full-time time commitment. The time commitment was eight weeks, four weeks training, four weeks competition. So you can't expect to have the same amount of pay. Now, if you broke down a lot of those arguments and looked at an hourly pay rate, um, that would be an interesting calculation to do. Mm. But at the same time, we're seeing uh, a number of the CBAs coming out and just uh, dramatically increasing the base salary um, for women and depending on uh, in cricket for example depending on uh, if you play for the national team in um, the big bash league uh, international competitions spread um, splitting prize money etc I think the calculation is the top players could earn up to Mm -hmm, um, mm 200,000 a year and plus as you know a number of these sports have international opportunities as well so you might be playing locally, um, i.e. within Australia, and then you may pick up a contract to be playing um, in another country. So I think that we'll, we're go- we've already seen a lot of change mm-hmm. uh, and we'll continue to see more change. And it's this transition period that's a very tricky time. Men's sport went through it and women's sport's going through it as well. Because at this stage, a lot of the competitions are not able to offer a year-long contract Mm. or multi-year contracts Mm. uh, because they're still nascent. Mm. Yeah, well, talking to you today, I feel perhaps more optimistic that we're getting closer to that level playing field that you imagined when you first started playing sport yourself. (laughs) Let's hope so, yeah. brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. Think Business Futures is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is made by the UTS Business School with the support of 2SER 107.3. Our executive producer is Jason Lequier. We'd like to say a big thanks to Professor Trace Taylor for coming on the show and helping us understand women's participation in sport. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.